Good afternoon and welcome to Keys to Achieving Technology Fiscal Fitness that Yields Better Business Outcomes, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Aptio. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments as they occur to you in the Q&A box. Nice way to view the screen, click in the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, uh, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring John Henderson, VP and CIO with Chalk Children's, Chief Umajay, VP of IT at New York Presbyterian, and Chris Van Wissip. Senior Director of Product Marketing at Aptio. And then we're going to have our, we'll take your questions. So let's jump right in. We've got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, educate our audience here. Um, John, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, thanks. Uh, I'm John Hibson, uh, Vice President for Chalk Children's in Orange County, Southern California. We are a pediatric health system, two hospital system with 30 plus specialty clinics and another 30 primary care clinics around the Southern California region. Uh, we have over 700 physicians and are affiliated with UC Irvine. And we have over 5,000 associates that uh, we support. And we are uh, see around 350,000 uh, outpatient visits every year and another 90,000 folks come through the ED. And we are a full-service uh, pediatric health system. Very good. Thank you, John. Chief? Sure. I'm at New York Presbyterian. Uh, we're affiliated with Wild Cornell Medicine and Columbia Doctors at Columbia University. Uh, we're 11 hospital health system, um, predominantly scattered around the New York metropolitan area. Um, for the most part, uh, Two massive academic medical centers are flagged by us, our Wild Cornell campus and our Columbia campuses. We do have a pediatric hospital, the Children's Hospital of New York, and uh, the other hospitals that are within the New York City boroughs. Uh, Chief, how would you describe, uh, do you have sort of areas that you're supposed to focus on in your role uh, as opposed to a general focus? Are you, you know, specializing in any, any particular projects or areas? Yeah, sure. Um, my role predominantly is clinical systems. Uh, so our EHRs, our um, radiology LIS systems roll into me. Um, it's, it's actually quite interesting. At this point in time, we're right smack in the middle of our implementation of EPIC at uh, two of our campuses. And so far, so good. It's going well. So it's, it's, a, it's I'm sure someone at work will be wondering, how did he sneak off to do this one? <laughs> we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Chris? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Chris Van Wessup uh, at Aptio. And, and Senior Director of Product Marketing means my team is responsible for how do we tell the Aptio story uh, externally and, and to our customers. And for those of you that don't know Aptio, we've been around about 15 years. Uh, we've got just under 2,000 customers. 
uh, typically large organizations, including maybe 60% of the Fortune 100. Um, and we're in the business of helping people make smarter decisions about their IT investments. And that's really fundamentally what our software does. Uh, and, and we do a lot of work with healthcare uh, organizations, but also a lot in financial services, manufacturing, uh, you, you name it. It's really across the board in terms of verticals. What's uh, uh, Chris, what's sort of the evolution of the company? Uh, what verticals did you start in and when did you expand into healthcare? You know, uh, it, it really wasn't ever verticalized specifically because at a fundamental level, everybody's got the same problems of trying to deconstruct the, the black box of IT and figure out should I spend my next million dollars on more storage capacity or my transition to cloud, or should I do better customer acquisition, or should I, you know, do more improvements for uh, our end users? And, uh, and all of those questions are on every CEO's mind. And so coming up with a platform that allows you to bring in relevant data from wherever it may exist to get a, a kind of a unified view of, of what your, your world looks like in terms of IT, and then be able to actually have business conversations with your uh, counterparts in the business units about where the investments are going and what ultimately is gonna help the, the overall organization more. That's everything from Wall Street to, you know, to, to healthcare, to insurance companies, they all have the same challenges. And so, uh, we really started, it was mostly starting with some very large organizations and make sure we kind of do the complicated stuff and then simplify it a little bit more for smaller organizations. Very good, Chris. Thank you. All right, Chief, we're going to start with you. Um, describe your IT governance process. How do you ensure IT spending is being committed in line with the business goals? Is it working well and where and how can it be improved? Sure. So, you know, given the fact we're a large health system, thinking about governance is having the right governance is important and making sure we align with the health system. I'll kind of give a background of our IT organization and then go into the details of that. We're a 2000 person IT org. Um, if we think about our capital spend, it's somewhere in the region of um, 45 million and our OPEX is about 300 million um, from an IT organization perspective. Now, if you think about how big the health system is. It's uh, a $10 billion health system, but that sounds like a lot of money being put in the hands of IT. So the idea is how do we maximize, how does the institution maximize its spend in IT and make sure that tech folks like I, like myself don't just go road and buy our favorite toys. Um, one of the things we've done is put together uh, three levels of governance. One, there's an IT board, uh, which is an external board um, with members of our, our overall hospital board and some of our key senior leaders that vet key initiatives and key capital initiatives for, for the organization. The thing that we're also beginning to find is a lot of the asks that are coming in may not be a traditional IT ask. So for example, we might be deciding to do something like improve our outreach or access to patients in a specific community. Inherent in that, it doesn't sound IT, but 80% of the vehicle of accomplishing that task is a technology ask. And so we're beginning to see where we have parallels between core business asks and plugging in the right disciplines to make sure that when we're thinking of our budgeting uh, angles, we're adding the IT spend into that. Um, we do have, so like I said, we have the general IT board. If it's a clinical thing, we have our clinical governance groups. 
that go through those types of changes. The IT board goes through the budgeting and then we submit to finance. If things come up within the year, within the calendar year, we do have a, a, a process where we, we call it OBIT and I'm blanking on its uh, the acronym, but effectively it's our um, outside budget um, investment trust. And that team looks at spend and says, hey, could we pivot our budget to do so? What works well is we don't we barely go rogue on our spend. Um, what works what doesn't work so well is given the fact we're big and we're bureaucratic, we're not as nimble as we could be. There's a lot of work we're doing to fix that um, in terms of creating buckets of cash that sit outside that we can use uh, for net new initiatives. Um, but, you know, again, it's still a complicated process to move a big health system. So from that perspective, the governance is right. The auditing is right. The management and alignment seems to be going okay. Um, and then it's just how nimbly we get through the financial processes to get the cash out so that we can actually execute as quickly as possible. Right. So, so one of the things you're working on is to try and be in a position to move cash to any emerging need, you know, nimbly um that's a that sounds like one of the principles is we, we're going to have to everyone would do the annual budget but we want to be able to react in real time to things that come up and that requires putting some money aside of course the issue is you have people begging and clamoring when the budget's done saying you're telling me we're out of money but i know you've got money stashed for you know what could come up well this is coming up now is that kind of a dynamic that is the dynamic yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, to use, uh, it's effectively the Hunger Games for cash. Um, you know, once you get through, once you get through uh, your budget cycle, everyone gets into this competition, saying, "Well, this is this priority, that priority." Um, but the the outside budget investment trust effectively tries to mitigate that. And we go through a series of things. How much does this spend impact us from a financial point of view, reputational point of view, or a quality point of view? Um, and then we we rank them that way. But it is it is yeah it it feels that competitive. Yeah, John. Well, I can definitely appreciate uh, the games <laughs> analogy because a uh, similar type of scenario. You know, I think for for us. Um, where the challenge comes in, our strategic planning process is really a, a tight process. And when it comes to strategic initiatives, the IT investments are really vetted out as part of that process. So that piece works really well. Uh, when you get into what we call the routine uh, investments from a, from a capital perspective, that's where uh, kind of the Hunger Games piece comes in because there's always more uh, demand that's going to be cash available for a given year. And so the approach we've been taking is uh, we are having quarterly meetings with each executive uh, and really understanding what they're trying to accomplish and really showing them what's in our pipeline. Not only what they've requested from their organization, but also what's coming from across the organization. That's been really helping them see a holistic picture, which helps the conversation of, hey, we're not going to be able to get to that this year. Maybe that'll be a, something we can put in, uh, slide in for the next fiscal year cycle. Uh, so that's been helpful. And then, you know, everything else goes up to what we call our executive leadership team, which is uh, the CEO's meeting with uh, certain, uh, certain members of the C-suite, where we kind of share, here's what the priority looks like uh, based upon, uh, is it strategic? Is it 
is an operational imperative? Is it uh, is it mandatory or required? Is this a life cycle uh, component? And so uh, we kind of look at all those different venues and uh, it gets a rating score. And then from there, that kind of drives what actually gets funded year over year. Uh, but then there's also, to Chief's point, there's that bucket of, okay, if something comes up, how do you handle that? Uh, one of the things that we do is we do a, qu- a quarterly uh, forecast. So even though we, we have a budget set for the year, we look to see, has anything changed from quarter to quarter that's going to either cause our spending levels to either be less or do we have to spend a little bit more? And then that way we kind of keep a bit of a contingency in case some, some things come up that we weren't expecting. Uh, and then we kind of handle those um, uh, accordingly, assuming that some of the funds are there and we can make those uh, decisions to proceed with those unplanned uh, activities that just come up. So it, it, we do an annual budget every year. And then you're saying there's a quarterly review? Mm. Quarterly review. Quarterly review. And then Chief, Chief had mentioned um, you even want to be more nimble than that. So it's this balance. Really what we're talking about is a balance between being getting ahead of things, being organized, and yet being able to react to changing environment. And you can have any court, any kind of approach to that. There's a million ways to do that. And we're looking for the right one. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing actually, Anthony, is is having the fidelity, right? Actually knowing where the money's going, what it's being invested in. Um, and that's that's just critical. You know, some of our we, we talk about a quarterly reforecasting process. Some of our best customers do it monthly. Um, you know, if you get a system in place that actually allows you to do it without a lot of overhead, then you can start really being reactive to the business needs and making sure that you're really maximizing the working capital that you got in place. Um, and and it, it takes a bit of time and process to get there, but man, being able to move things as needed when, when needs change, uh, is pretty powerful. Chris, how does, how does what you provide jive or work with, uh, governance processes? So I would imagine they work together. Um, it, it sort of what you're providing, the software you're providing integrates with the governance process to make that a more efficient process. Yeah. Well, and, and Chief and John could probably uh, illuminate even more on how they do it, you know, with our stuff in their their organizations. But the idea is uh, at the top line, make sure you're you're understanding the strategic priorities of the organization and how each of the investments that you're making actually align to that, and and actually be able to get a a view sometimes for the first time of here's the exact breakdown of the amount of spend we're applying, both from an operational perspective and a growth initiatives that accrue to what the strategic priorities are for the organization. A lot of folks don't even have that level of fidelity. Uh, and, And then being able to assess, like we were saying, even on a monthly basis, how is the actual spend, you know, taking place relative to what you had planned and uh, and where are we going with and what's the business impact? And and if we need to make a change, let's make a change um, and being able to, to have that kind of flexibility. Chief, anything you want to add there? Yeah, I think one of the things we're doing with our IT forecasting is exactly that. We look at the entire spend. Um, we break them into, you know, we look at our we bring them into the initiatives and we tie the initiatives back to the alignment. Um, but one of the things like John highlighted that actually gets tricky and often is the sacrificial lamb is 
is routine. Um, you know, the things we do for for maintenance, um, you know, there might be a there might be oftentimes in the OPEX, but when you think about new storage systems or new server infrastructures or or perhaps transitioning to to a cloud-based uh, system, you're always in that fight between this is capital, this is operating, and it does not necessarily fit into the traditional narrative of this is what it takes to run a healthcare system, right? So having the most resilient data center or the best data center, yeah, yeah that's great, but we want to take care of patients, we want to put buildings, we want to buy equipment that can help us treat patients, et cetera. So having that visibility into our spend in the op, in 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 our routine capital, and then beginning to think about how we transition some of that routine cap into into an opex is 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 something that is top of mind for us, um, just so that we can reduce our capital ask. Um, but again, in some ways, it's shifting the bill from one bucket to the other. But um, you know, we're we're looking at ways to do that and get the things that we need to do so that we can provide the value that the enterprise is looking for, uh, the platforms that give us the, the backbone to provide that platform, that, um, that technology or that solution that they're looking for, um, making sure that we have reserved the capital to keep that up and um, operational is, is key for us as well. So, Chief, even though you're just, as you mentioned, even though you're just moving it from one bucket to another, that still is a benefit to you? It is. It, it is. Um, I think in depending on the organization, in some organizations, capital is a lot harder to come by than operating. Some folks do. They're operating in a sense that you get a recurring. Your next year's budget is based on your last year's spend. So... Um, you don't have to do some funky math or have to justify it as this is what we spend to get to where we are. Uh, so from that accounting point of view or that removing or reducing the complexity of our hunger game, that is a strategy to do so. Um, and also, frankly, it's easier for us to have cash at hand, especially given the current climate. So moving more things, more traditional routine expenses into uh, OPEX uh, also helps our organization reduce our capital needs and also allows big cash at hand to be available uh, for the larger enterprise. John, what are your thoughts around that? We, you know, I, I agree with Chief. You know, I think the thing is, uh, at least for, for our organization, it was really education around the shift in what's happening in the market and that you're going to have a shift in things moving to OPEX that traditionally were, were capital. And so that education piece is, for me, that's the, the really the most important element of it because you know our organization um, likes predict predictability uh, and you know which I can appreciate and the the moving to cloud-based solutions, SaaS-based solutions, uh, things that are now OpEx that gives that level of predictability. So that was something that was beneficial um, in, in that education. And I think the the key thing, and I think it's it doesn't matter whether it's capital or OpEx related spend. The thing that's always critical to uh, to convey is the supportability of those solutions. While the model may be a bit different with SaaS and cloud, there's still going to be uh, some level of support that you're going to have to grow over time. And not to give the sense that because I'm shifting to OpEx, I no longer need support of those solutions is one of the messages that I always make sure we deliver because at some point you're going to have to grow your team and 
Uh, you want to set that foundation early in the process when you're moving to uh, to OPEX ba uh, base spend versus CAPEX. Chris, anything you want to add there? Uh, I, I think you can, they covered it on, on that one. Okay, very good. All right, next question. John, we're going to start with you. How can IT describe technology investment choices in language business leaders will understand? Um, John, are you often uh, presenting choices to business leaders about we could do A or B in terms of technology spend, and you want to make sure you're conveying that in, in the right terms that they understand? Absolutely. You know, I think when it comes to, I'll start with kind of the routine pieces, because I think that's the piece that, you know, requires an, that education understanding. So if I'm, if I'm having to replace uh, all of my devices or I'm, I'm having to replace or refresh my network, um, the question that normally comes up is, well, our network is up and running. Why do you need to replace it? Um, it's still working. And so I like to use the analogy of, uh, of remodeling a home that is a 30-year-old home and you've had the same HVAC that entire time. Now, going into the uh, summertime, your AC may be working fine, but typically after year 20, they start to fail. And do you want to be in a position of high heat with your AC going out and then you're without AC for, you know, one week or so while you're trying to get that repair? Um, so I like to give those types of analogies, whether it's foundation, you know, you don't build a home and you don't frame the home before you put in a foundation. And so the underlying infrastructure from a technology perspective is the foundation. And so we can't build on top of uh, a foundation that's not there. And so I like to give those types of analogies as part of that discussion. Um, and, and even in a scenario when you're talking to the business around some of the solutions that they're interested in, you know, everything now is the discussions around digital. And so where do you start? And so you, you sometimes you have to provide a menu of options. Are we going to start with outpatient? Are you going to focus on pre-visit activities versus uh, point of service versus post-visit? And you want to be able to give them options of here's the biggest pain point based on what we're seeing, whether it's patient satisfaction related to that uh, initial experience and be able to say, if, we've, if we invest uh, half a million dollars on the pre-visit activities, that's gonna in increase your patient satisfaction X percent. Where the pain point with post-visit, your patient satisfaction scores are already in the 90th percentile. Do you really wanna focus the investment there or you wanna focus it on the pre-visit where patient sat is in 75th percentile? And so that makes it, try to make it easier for them to get to the right decision with those types of uh, analogies and, and descriptions. Excellent. Chief? Yeah, I think I agree with John. I think it's tying it back to what we want to accomplish as an enterprise and what we are afraid to lose, right? So I'll give you years ago, I'm sure many CISOs struggled to get funding for security. Why? You know, it's like paying for insurance. You know, most of us, when we go buy something, they ask you to pay for insurance. You're like, yeah, I'm never going to need that. And you don't pay for it, right? And then that device or tool or service you procure, the moment that risk becomes actualized, you wish you had the insurance. So the mindset typically is that's an expense that I can't deal with. Now, you know, due to a lot of bad actors, there's, you know, CISOs are not struggling to sell their story these days. But um, that is an that is a strategy with which we we, we explain things what what's the risk 
um, if we have, if we don't patch, for example, our infrastructure, if we don't modernize our devices, we have these vulnerabilities. Um, if you can quantify those vulnerabilities in terms of cost, for example, if a ransomware attack were to succeed, um, we can put, we present that risk and that cost associated with that. Um, not all investments have to be sold with fear. We could also sell them from the perspective of capacity, right? So there's a lot of things we want to do. Um, if you really want to get the greatest telehealth experience, well, we're going to have to invest in the right devices and infrastructure to support that experience. Um, so it's kind of selling the, and this is on the routine end, it's kind of selling what the technology allows them to do and how it ties back to an initiative they want. And in instances of most of our infrastructure backend stuff that most C-suite frankly don't care about is realizing the risk. If we don't have the right patch system, if we don't have the right infrastructure, this is a certain risk um, and be tra being transparent of what the cost of each risk is. Chief, do you ever get uh, pushback that is almost uh, in a sense of, well, I don't want it to be so expensive. I want you to give me the level Option. of service I want, but you're t I want you to get it for less than you're telling me it costs. You figure it out because it costs yeah, too much. Yeah, and I, I wanna, frankly, we wouldn't have jobs if we just paid for everything, right? So um, one of the things our role is, is to define the options. Um, my job is to present options to the team, to the board, and say, we could do option A, B, and C. Here's the cost benefit for each option. This is a strong recommendation. And depending on where we are from a financial situation, we'll leave it up to the governance group to opine on which pathway uh, we go. The approach that we typically take is not necessarily go in with a, this is it, or this is a one solution. We come with about two or three options uh, and we give the pros and the cons. Each one has a certain dollar value attached to it based on risk and benefit, and let the governance folks be as informed as they need to be so that they can make, make a decision. And we might be leaning for an expensive solution because we think it's the best comprehensive thing to do, but sometimes we don't want to make perfect the enemy of good. So was, you know, sometimes we'll, make, we'll take good. And if that's the risk that our leadership is willing to bear or the cost they're willing to put on it or the premium, then, then that's fair. John, you're providing your organization with numbers, right? When you talk about options, you're giving there's there's a cost associated with it. You have to have the trust of your C-suite peers and your board that you're getting the best numbers, the right numbers. Is that an important part of the job that the numbers you're providing them are the best numbers? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when you when you have to present these options, you want to give them the best possible information. And, you know, one of the things that I like to talk about is, uh, you know, there's, there's, I'll call it the retail cost of technology. So equipment, software, or whatever that component may be, their service, I like to break it down for them into those buckets. This is the cost of the actual technology. Here's the cost of the services to implement those solutions. And one of the things that I think is important to be able to convey is, what kind of negotiations are you taking into those uh, into those agreements? So they understand that you are really getting the best possible pricing uh, based upon not just that particular deal, but 
your entire spend with that particular vendor, particularly if you're talking about um, your, your core infrastructure. You're going to have a few vendors that provide a lot of those capabilities for you. And you want to be able to convey and share what they're bringing to the table, how you're able to get the best pricing. And even to Chief's point, there's some options. Everything isn't a Rolls Royce uh, uh, pricing model. And so being able to share with them, here's a couple of different pricing options. Here's what it's going to provide us. Here's what we won't get if we go with uh, the middle of the road investment. And being able to describe that in terms of risk, uh, as Chief talked about, is critical to that discussion because you have to give them context to the pricing and the, and the and the budget and investment information that you're giving, along with what are we going to what are we going to get out of this investment? What's going to allow us to do, and is it going to allow us to continue to advance our strategic priorities, uh, or is this going to focus more on running the day to day operations uh, of the of the system? I think those things in context are, are critical for. Uh, whether you're presenting to the board or whether you're presenting to your investment board. Chris, thoughts? You know, as I listen to these two guys, it's, it's so many great things in here. Uh, but what really keeps popping up is that they've got a really good connection with the business. And, uh, and, and, and that's just critical. And, and the only way you get that, you earn your seat at the table mm -hmm. for those things, right? Uh, you need to build the trust. And that comes from you know, having your ducks in a row and being able to, uh, like Chief was saying, expose that here are the multiple options and 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 I'm going to share with you what the, the cost drivers actually are behind the business and, and what our alternatives look like and what the implications of those alternatives would be. And, and we found over the years that, you know, when you can expose those levers to people in a way that's that's transparent and and justifiable that you can actually back up what the numbers are saying uh the the trust really really builds and and that's when you can actually start having some better conversations and then how does it line up to patient experience clinician experience the quality we deliver the value that's being delivered um let's prioritize these things based on the outcomes we're trying to, to get and make the right decisions very good all right uh, let's go to our next question. Um, John, we're going to go with you. Can you offer any anecdotes that illustrate IT partnering with the business to achieve business goals in a more cost-efficient and effective way? Sure. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, when I first joined Chaka just over four years ago, one of the big things that we, the organization was interested in is modernizing our ERP. So we did a full-blown uh, assessment, brought in a third party to help us with that. I had to partner with our chief HR officer and our VP of finance who had responsibility for payroll. Um, we had a shorter period of time to, to, to get to where, what direction we want to go in. Um, and so that third party really helped us kind of craft what are we trying to accomplish? What does HR operations need? What, is, what does payroll need? And we got to a solution. We got, made a selection. Uh, at that point in time, I had built, uh, I felt like a good level of trust with uh, my two peers. They basically said, hey, you go off, you negotiate the agreement, you tell us the best approach to take with this implementation. Uh, and so uh, they allowed me to do that, kept them in the loop. Uh, we got the deal done. But what, what happened was we really had about six months to implement. Um, the way our capital process works, we don't get to carry over capital year over year. Um, you have to use it within the year it's funded. 
So we had to come up with a plan to implement HR payroll on Workday in, in really six months. Um, and we actually did it in five and a half. And the only way we were able to do that is my partnership with the Chief HR Officer and VP of Finance. We had to come to agreement on we were going to implement pure delivered functionality. And the only way we would we would customize if there was a compelling business case that they signed off on that we just had to have. We didn't have a scenario like that and allowed us to implement that in five and a half months uh, and really get the value. Uh, I always say it, it, it was like we went from a flip phone to an iPhone uh, to modernize our ERP. I mean, that's just, that's just one example uh, where we had a great partnership and we got the outcome that we were looking for. Very good. Chief, uh, any anecdotes you want to offer about IT partnering with business leaders in the business to achieve goals? Well, it's um, no partnership, no success, right? Um, the, way, the way we are right now, our role for the most part is to drive outcomes for business units. So it's inherent in everything that we do. One of the things, you know, a very good example is right now we're implementing an electronic uh, health record. Um, and it doesn't matter what technology folks want. If we don't have clinical buy-in, regulatory buy-in, legal buy-in, finance buy-in, revenue cycle buy-in, uh, we will not be able to achieve uh, the outcomes we're looking for or get the value that we want out of that investment. So even from the budgeting through the execution and through the value realization aspect of it, um, it is very, very key to have uh, strong uh, relationships with, with the business partners to get you there. Because I have one more thing I'll add is, frankly, yeah. they ultimately define success, right? right. So um, you, you kind of have to be, be, be in step with them. Very good. All right, next question. Uh, John, let's go with you. When there is a need, how can IT most effectively articulate a request for an increase in budgetary dollars? How And also, how often are new projects funded by reallocated current budget versus asking for incremental budget? Sure. So when you're trying to grow your FT count, um, that's, you know, that, that, that requires you know, a level of, uh, I'll say diplomacy, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, at least it's been my experience. And so what I, what I like to do is take it from a couple of different layers. Um, so if this is, if this is more of a run the business growth, because let's say for instance, part of our strategy is to add more primary cares into our, into our network. And so, uh, more M and A activity. So if we've added, you know, six new primary cares in two years, and we converted those to our EMR, and integrate them into our core infrastructure, that also means that our volume and the number of things that we're having to support, number of resources, number of people, devices we're having to support has grown by X factor. So I like to bring that sort of information to, to the table to say, I'm just really trying to right size and keep the same service levels that the organization has been accustomed to. Um, if we don't grow uh, these resources to continue to provide the support, then you will start to see some degradation in service levels. If you're okay with the service levels dropping, then we can maintain. But if you want us to keep these and or exceed, then we're going to have to grow the team. You know, that's one part of the discussion. Um, then there's the other part where as you're growing and adding new technologies, new software solutions into your portfolio, and it's not always a one-to-one -one scenario where I'm adding software and solutions and I'm taking away software and solutions. So 
you want to be able to paint that picture. Hey, we're actually not sunsetting applications. These are new lines that we are going into, which require new software solutions. So I've added five new solutions into the portfolio that that's related to uh, patient engagement, uh, patient experience, and the team that is doing that, they're not able to sustain the level of enhancements that are coming. So if we want to continue to grow and enable these services, then that's going to require some growth in FTEs. So I'd like to give that level of context and what we won't, uh, what we won't be able to do uh, if we stay the status quo. And that works pretty well, John? Uh, for the most part, that works well. It works, I will tell you, it does work better with new technology acquisition than it does with running the day-to-day business Mm -hmm. Um, because there's always uh, a a scenario where, well, how can we, uh, can you, can you, can you work? How can we, how can, can you automate more things so you don't need as many people? Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a constant dilemma uh, because we're always trying to automate and eliminate manual effort. But the key thing is in order to eliminate the manual effort, you actually have to have the skill set to do all of the automation. And then once you get the automation, then you can, you know, then your resources are able to kind of stretch a little further. Mm-hmm. And so it's a kind of the catch 22. Chief? Yeah, I, I, I look at adding budget as a capacity thing, whether it's capacity from, you know, like John highlighted from what the team can be able to support. Um, and more importantly, from what's the value to, to the group should we add said capacity? Um, so, I think the big thing is to know the audience um, and know the business line that is funding that initiative. You know, uh, like John said, if it's a if it's a net new capital initiative, oftentimes there's an external source and there's funding available. And if you get in the right ears sooner rather than later, because everybody wants this net new initiative to be successful, oftentimes the dollars are there for it and you can make it successful. Um, so I think being in the ears early about what we can offer, being transparent about the costs we can eliminate or the opportunities to eliminate costs by implementing X or by investing in X number of new resources coming in um, um, is key. You know, I'll, I'll give you a, a case in point. In one of our service lines, our biomedical engineering service lines, you know, these are very, very expensive pieces of equipment. They typically want, you typically want the best of the vendor support, which is, it makes sense. If you're a world-class institution, you want gold-star support for million-dollar pieces of equipment. Over years, we did an analysis, and then we found, mm, we had folks that could actually do this work if we upskilled them. So we upskilled, you know, so it became a big ask about how do we upskill our talent to be able to do this and then get an at-risk cost from the big players and that's in that field. Um, it took a lot of selling, a lot of math and being friends with, with our operational excellence and our finance folks. But once we got the numbers in, we actually did find that by even adding more staff to us and insourcing a lot of those skill sets, we're able to offset a lot of very, very expensive uh, investments that we're making with support contracts. Mm-hmm. So striking that balance and having those relationships and knowing more importantly, it's all about the timing. When is the right time to, to make an ask, um, you know, and, 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 and see how it goes. Chris, anything you want to jump in here? 
Yeah, I think these guys are highlighting it. But, you know, the, the first and primary thing is you're not going to be able to make your business case without having the right data. Um, and, and so making sure that you've got the numbers at hand to say, here's what the implications are of what, you know, we're asking for or or the or what will happen if we don't uh, get this kind of uh, funding is is always good. And, and the other thing we didn't touch on it as much, the second part of this question um, there, there tend to be inefficiencies in almost everything that people are, are doing and being able to find funding on your own and then evangelize the fact that you are self-funding, you know, by transforming operational spend into, into growth initiatives um, is always, you know, a welcome thing, you know, across the C-suite. All right. Very good. Let's go to our next question. Uh Chief, let's start with you. How can IT demonstrate the business value provided from previous investments? So um, how do you show them that they got something for their money? So one of the things that has become a, um, a big culture change um, in our organization is defining the baseline, right? So, you know, if you, anyone who's taken any of the various project management uh um doctrines you know the first thing is implement a project with the expectation that there's some value at the end there's a benefit to the organization at the end sounds easy sounds benign the question is how do i measure the benefit nine out of ten times we jump into projects without a clear indication of what our baselines are and we don't ask ourselves the fundamental question what needle are we trying to move so one of the things that we've and you know we've learned we've gotten burned we've put in million dollar pieces of software, and no one can truly articulate what value it brought. We replaced widget A with widget B, um, spent a lot of money for it, and frankly, we're still doing the same things we did with widget A, you know? Um, so one of the things I will say first is figure out what we're measuring and figure out what metric matters to the constituents at the point in time, right? So if you're an inpatient facility and you're thinking about bringing in some tools and some process changes that would improve length of stay. All right, if length of stay is the metric, let's figure out what is our average length of stay. Once we've put in that investment and that um, implementation, let's go back and check and measure what it was at baseline and what it is now. Um, once we have that, that's how we gain our trust, right? So we gain the trust to get the next um, project, the next ask, and tying back all our spends back to those initiatives and those metrics that matter to the business. It's easy for us to say, listen, I want, let's use an infrastructure one, 100% or 99.99% uptime. Okay, that probably doesn't mean much to 99% of our clinicians or our business users, right? A good way to measure it is, how many minutes were spent, the doctor spent not documenting, or how many hours of ED time was saved? And all of a sudden, being able to draw those correlations with the data, it tells a much more uh, cogent story. John? Uh, yeah, I agree with Steve. It's one of the areas where we are really trying to improve our overarching processes, that baseline. We haven't done, uh, I would say, a consistent job with outlining what those baseline measures are for these initiatives that we're taking on and what's our target goal. We, we're, we're doing a much better job on the strategic side, but that's really the key thing. What are we trying to improve upon? What's the baseline? 
and really being building that whole process into the deployment so that when you do deploy, you're not chasing a baseline or chasing how you're performing. You've built that into what you're delivering. And so now you just have the information insights of monitoring those targets versus what you're actually realizing uh, at your fingertips. Uh, that's really the key thing. You know, I think one of the other uh, scenarios uh, is kind of she was outlining is when it's not a strategic initiative, you still want to identify what's going to determine success, uh, what's going to what's going to be the value for this investment. And so one of the things that, that we're doing now is that's really a requirement. Um, you know, we don't we don't green light your project to move out of the planning phase unless we define what your baseline is going to be so that we can track that and, and move that in. So, for instance, one thing we're doing with supply chain and, and, and periodic services is preference card standardization. So leveraging our analytics infrastructure to really understand uh, what type of variation do we have on, on our preference cards. And then that drives a, a high cost variation between for the same procedures. And so we've been able to really highlight that through information and data insights. So now the surgeons are looking at that and they're saying, okay, well, let's figure out. The first thing they said to us was, well, unblind the information. We want to see who the physicians are, who <laughs> the surgeons are that have all this high cost. You know, we didn't want to do that initially, but we were able to, you know, they, they jumped right to it and they were engaged from that point on. And so now we're moving into second and third service lines, trying to help them drive out cost, but also keep the same quality of care. Um, they were really invested in understanding how they were performing. And so you had a baseline that they could uh, they could react to and say, we want to be better than that baseline. Chris, anything you want to add there? Yeah, it's all about KPIs and, and metrics. You know, that's something that we focus on with all of our customers as the deployments get, get rolling and saying, you know, let's get the baselines established and then let's figure out what we're going to be tracking as we go forward. Um, it's it's critical to be able to show that, that value over time. All right, we're going to go to our Ask a Co-Panelist segment here. And Chris, I'm going to give you the first opportunity to ask one or both of your co-panelists a question. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, um, the discipline that, that we're fundamentally talking about here is technology business management. Uh, and, and as folks get started on this path of having a, a focused um, uh, effort towards TBM, I'd be interested from both John and Chief, you know, what did you guys find as the biggest obstacle to getting that process started that, that you needed to overcome? Uh, John, you want to go first? Sure. I think the, the biggest obstacle, I would say, really is explaining why would I use this? What's going to be different with this versus our traditional um, budget variance reporting that we already provide? And so explaining, explaining that uh, in, in the terms of, hey, we need to, I want to be able to understand the different layers of services we're providing and then be able to share with you uh, the business here's what my investments are for business technologies. Here's what my investments are for clinical technologies. And here, here's how I'm really managing those different, la different layers and different domains and what levers I can pull. Um, once, once we got through that piece, um, then I'll say the technical work to, to, to manage this sort of thing is, is, the, is just the work. Um, and so uh, that education piece and in, in articulating the value was, I'll say, the biggest hurdle. So it's moving from being a cost center to them to being a strategic partner to them. Right. Yeah. 
Chief? I think it's all about trust. Um, you know, being able to build um, trust based on past successes or new behaviors. Um, I think being and a key component of being able to to build that trust is is the transparency. So when we come together to put together governance groups that could help guide that with constituents from different key areas of the business, um, you know, framing having the right people in those boards um, that are that represent uh, a sufficient sufficient um, spectrum of the business is key. And then being able to share that by using these types of tools, by being able to have insight into our expenses um, and that we're not hiding anything, we're transparent about where the IT dollars are going um, is, 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 uh, is a big value add. And as we begin to build those trusts in terms of transparency in our routine spend, um, I, always, I often say innovation starts <clears throat> at operations. Once we've gotten that and our operations are good and people could see our operations, people build that trust, we earn the right to innovate. We earn the right to be at the table to do more things. And But it's easy, easier said than done, but it's it's a journey that we're on. Chief, did you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Sure. Um, Chris, along the... You've heard us talk about our budgeting and our governance structures. What would you say have been the prevalent uh, styles that you're seeing across different disciplines that are using your, your tool? Uh, can you clarify a little bit more in terms of the... the like how, how are folks doing their governance? How are they using your tool to support governance? And what are the, the different governance structures you're seeing? You know, it... There's a, a, a huge maturity model, uh, and people are finding value at all layers. Uh, you know, if if what your problem statement is coming out of the gate, which it is for some people, is my CFO came to me and had a simple request of how much are we spending in terms of labor, you know, on X, Y, or Z. I don't know the answer to that because I, I don't. This is what they're saying back to the CFO. I'll have to go look for that information and and pull the right people and pull the data. Um, you know, the, the ability to quickly respond to the ad hoc questions that come in about the business or to be able, like you guys are saying, to simply have a coherent variance analysis that you're able to conduct on a regular basis to say, we intended to spend this, we've spent this, let's understand the deltas and be able to, to make smart decisions about it. That's, I consider, kind of a baseline view of things, but very important. Um, as you start kind of going up the stack, you know, when you get into a world where people are are getting their arms around, here's the entire, in fact, uh, a good uh, customer of ours in, in the healthcare space, uh, North Central, uh, uh, Great Lakes kind of area. Um, every time they acquire a new hospital or clinic, uh, they're, they are presented with a portfolio of applications that that organization was using that's going to be disparate from what the standard is, but by having mapped all of the things that actually drive the business in terms of application services, et cetera, they're able to do really quickly uh, a comparison between these and, and identify the things that they can port over, see if there's any good learnings from the new place that they can start mapping into the rest of the organization, but quickly get those values of, of scale that they had talked about when they went through the acquisition process. Um, and, and so it can be at that level 
and even higher up, there's a lot of folks that are going into the showback and chargeback uh, models more, uh, more efficiently now and saying, I am going to completely expose to you what your cost levers are that are driving your part of the business uh, and empower you to, to work with us to, to make smarter decisions and, and the ability to drive down costs and, and, and get better uh, decisions made in partnership with the business is a function of being able to have that level of exposure. So it there is a, a real spectrum. And I think as people continue along the journey, um, they can keep doing more and more with it. Very good. All right, John, did you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Sure. Yeah, I think my question is really more around um, trends in investment spending. Are you guys seeing a, a, a real shift um, to more AI, machine learning type capabilities, more digital and less away from some of the traditional spend. Um, I know, Chris, you probably see this, uh, you know, more broadly across all your client base, uh, um, but just interested in kind of what you guys are seeing there. Chris? Um, I think it's slower than people think it might be. And it all it always depends on the industry. There's obviously go to Silicon Valley and, you know, born in the cloud organizations there are, are doing things much more rapidly, but um, everybody is dabbling in it. Uh, and so the amount of spend is small, but everybody's got something that they're working on and trying to see if they can make a go of it. It's kind of similar to cloud spend, you know, that that's been a thing for over a decade now, and it's still, you know, not the predominant, you know, way that IT is spending its resources today. It continues to grow, and it's really important. But um, there's still a lot of of spend that's done in the on-premises side of of the world. So people are dabbling in it, uh, but it's not necessarily the rocket ship that everybody thinks it is. I think. Chief, any thoughts? Yeah, I think I agree with Chris. Um, you know, initially it, it came up and a, a whole bunch of us said that we got to do it, we've got to do it. Um, and then we got a couple of tools or free tools and then we started looking for problems to solve. And every other thing, the problems are not as easy to solve as, as, as they are. So we're not spending nearly as much. I, I think oftentimes too, we forget that bad machine learning and AI doesn't fix bad process. So we, you know, um, so part of the thing is realizing that there's a chicken and an egg is how do you, do you work on your process improvements and then layer on the technology to automate that, um, your enhanced process. So that's kind of where we are, but we, we've been distracted with our big implementation and we, we may go back to it. But like he said, I think we're, we're damaged. I always say automating bad processes just breaks things faster than it, they were breaking before. We're we're about out of time. Chris, you want to give us a quick last word, last final advice for our listeners today? Uh, thank you. First of all, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to participate in this. And, and I would say for folks that are thinking about kind of getting started on this TBM journey with whatever tool set you end up doing it with, uh, get started. The the It is putting one foot in front of the other, uh, even if you don't think you've got the best data or the right processes or anything like that start the process and and the improvements will come as a result of that. Perfect. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, John Henderson, Chief Umajay, 
and Chris Van Wessup. And I want to thank our sponsor, sponsor Optio, for making this possible. And I want to thank you, our attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.